Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Welcome to Epiphany's Podcast, a ministry of Epiphany Anglican Fellowship in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Our church exists to help people discover and rediscover the love of God in the Christian gospel. For more information about our church, you can visit epiphanyligonier.org. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. You may know this, you may not, but seminary is really an odd time for clergy who are in training to become ministers. Because when you step forward with a call to ordain ministry, God often starts to clean out your emotional closet. Um, God wants you to enter the ministry in a healthy place, so he starts to clean out baggage from your past. And so lots of seminarians get counseling and therapy. Um, Lots of seminarians have their past baggage brought up. Um, There's a surprising amount of crying in seminary. I don't know if you knew that. Um, But one of the best ways to be trained in giving good pastoral care is to first receive good pastoral care from someone more experienced. And I tell you that story to tell you this story, that one night in seminary, a number of us were gathered in a dingy Ambridge apartment together watching the movie Goodfellas. You know the movie Goodfellas, Martin Scorsese, 1990 mob movie? Um, It's about a young man named Henry Hill, and in this movie he grows up without a father, but he's enamored by the life of the mafia from a very young age. And so this fatherless teen, as he grows, starts to be brought under the wing of the, of the mob's protection and of the mob's affirmation. He's given these small-time jobs to do, and he's doing things like selling stolen cigarettes out the back of a car trunk and running errands for the mob. And soon, as Henry is doing these small-time things, Henry gets pinched. He gets arrested. He gets arrested for this work, and he goes to court. Um, And so in court, he's advised by the mob's lawyer. The mob has paid off the judge. So really, it's just a test. Will Henry rat out his mafia friends? Will Henry talk when he gets pinched? That's the mafia term. And he doesn't. He does not talk. He sits there, he goes through the trial, and the judge lets him go. And after the trial, the mafia dom, he comes over to this young teen and he puts his arm around his shoulders, says, good job, you know, you, you did it. And here's the life lessons you need to learn, you know, good job. And the kid's like, I thought you would, would get me in trouble. I thought I'd be in trouble for getting pinched. He's like, no, everybody gets pinched, you know, just remember, keep your mouth shut. And, and as he's getting all of this wisdom from this elder mafioso, the door opens up and there's another dozen men from the mob who are all waiting And as Henry walks out the door, they cheer, hey, there he is, good guy, good guy. And they pat him on the back and hug him and tell him what a good job he did for not talking. As we're watching this remarkable scene, one seminarian who had been working through his own personal issues about his absent father quips from the back of the room. He says, you know, if I had that much male affirmation in my life, I might join the mafia too. I might join the mafia too. Uh, Today, in our reading from Genesis 27, we're going to explore the power of blessing, the power of a particular father's blessing, the power of this love and affirmation in the human life. And in our reading, we see how a father's blessing becomes this thing which the whole family jockeys around. 
um, that the father's blessing is about passing on the family business and the mantle of family leadership from the father to the son. But this is also a story about a father's blindness. Not only his physical blindness because he can't see in his old age, um, but also his spiritual blindness about how God's relationship to this family is something he had not thought very hard about in his parenting. I want to explore this reading through the lens of three strained relationships. I'm mean, going to look through these three relationships to build the story out for you so you can see how all of the family members have been jockeying and moving for this blessing and trying to, to get the Father's blessing. But the result is that all of these relationships become strained and broken. And I hope by doing so, as we go through this reading, I get to tell you something about the uniqueness of the Christian gospel uh, in the midst of this blessing. So, three uh, relationships I want to talk about first, and the first is the obvious one, the broken relationship between the brothers Esau and Jacob. We touched on this last week. This isn't uh, unfamiliar if you were here, um, that Jacob and Esau are twins, and Esau was the firstborn of the two uh, boys, the two boys who would become men, the two brothers. Um, Esau was sort of the jock, the hunter. He wore Carhartt and was out during archery and rifle season for deer. Um, and Jacob was the bookworm who stayed inside and the cook and the video gamer type. Esau was kind of a daddy's boy, um, the older one. And that was par for the course of the time that the eldest son got a, a disproportionate amount of time with the father because he was being groomed and trained to take over the family one day. And then Jacob was a mother's boy. These two brothers had different parents, they had different lifestyles, they had different ideals. And Esau, being the firstborn, stood to inherit a larger portion of his father's estate and take over the family tribe. And by comparison, Jacob was really irrelevant to the family life. He was two arms, two legs, some muscle, and was there to kind of help out. So even when they were still together in their mother's womb, God revealed to Rebekah, their mother, that these twins would become nations in perpetual conflict. And he revealed to the mother, he revealed to Rebekah this very interesting thing. He said, the younger will be served by the elder. That's a flip-flop of what we would expect, that God comes in and says, listen, these, these two sons you're going to have, they're going to be in conflict, and then the nations that come from them will be in conflict, but the younger one will be the winner. The younger one will be the person to inherit it. Um, these two um, brothers were destined from the beginning to be at loggerheads. And so it doesn't surprise us, perhaps, that we learn that Jacob, last reading, we talked about this, he aggressively bargains with his brother for this question of the inheritance, for the birthright. And he says, yeah, I'll, I'll give you a bowl of this nice red lentil stew I've made, um, but I'll only do it for the price of your birthright. Um, God saw this coming. Rebecca knew this was coming, and presumably, Rebecca had had conversations with Isaac about this as well, that God had predicted a reversal of expected fortune for these two. And yes, Esau ended up trading his birthright, his inheritance, for a bowl of red lentil soup, which becomes a biblical identifier for doing dumb things. He made a reckless and impulsive choice to give up that which was his by birth, a double share of the inheritance, family leadership, and a special relationship with his father, he, he get, got rid of all of that 
for a bowl of soup. But it doesn't just say something about Esau that he would trade something so valuable for something so mundane. It also says something about Jacob, the younger of the two, that when he had a chance to take advantage of his older brother, it was his birthright that was wanted. That's what he wanted. Um, And so uh, what we have here, again, is a strained relationship. An older brother who has all the family responsibility but doesn't hold it with any seriousness, and a younger brother who is jealous and resentful because only by the span of 30 seconds is he younger than his other brother. He is resentful and he is angry, and the two are not getting along. And they are swindling each other, and they are pitted against each other because each one of them has a different parent. We have the first of our three strained relationships. The second strained relationship this morning is the relationship between Esau and his parents. Between Esau and his parents. Um, Our reading begins with this very sort of comic but also tragic note that Isaac took two wives from the Hittites, Judith and Bozmath. I had to look up the Hebrew for how to pronounce that name, by the way. It's kind of an odd name. You can call her Basemath if you want, because that's what it looks like. And the text tells us that these two women, quote, made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Now, compare and contrast this to a generation earlier. We had a whole sermon when we talked about how Abraham really wanted a special kind of wife for his son Isaac. And he sent a servant something like 600 miles away up to Turkey to go and find for his son that perfect girl, someone who not only had the same family values, but someone who also would be open to a relationship with the God of this family. Um, that there was a spiritual component that um, Abraham did not want to have a, a person chosen for his son's wife. He did not want a daughter-in-law from the arranged marriage of the people around him. He said, that's not going to work. The religions aren't going to work. So he sent uh, a servant 600 miles north to the in modern-day Turkey, a town called Haran. Uh, he sent someone north to go find a special spouse for his son. It seems that Isaac did not repeat the same thorough and caring search for Esau. In our reading today, Esau is 40 years old, and he got married to two local girls. Local girls, presumably, who do not worship the right God. And the result is that they make their family's life together miserable. How exactly do they make their life miserable? We don't know. I hope you get along with your in-laws if you are in relation with them still. Maybe you have sons and daughters-in-laws. Maybe you have mothers and fathers-in-laws. I hope you get along. I have great in-laws. They watch my son. I'm very happy with my in-laws. They don't make my life bitter at all. And I certainly hope that's the case for you. But as much as I love my in-laws and they love me, the same cannot be said for Isaac and Rebecca and Judith and Bozmeth. I'll leave it to your imagination to fill up Uh, fill in the gaps as to why they're not getting along, but they're not getting along. And so the relationship between Esau and his parents has been strained. And that sets up the final relationship that's strained in our reading today, and that's the relationship between Isaac and his wife, Rebecca. It's already true that they have different favorite children, we know this, but after two chapters, if you're reading this scripture, you're thinking, Esau, I have an uneasy feeling about him. There's something up about this Esau character 
um, because, you know, he traded his birthright for soup. And he married pagan women who don't have any sort of relationship with God. Esau is impulsive, he's reckless, he's not very bright, maybe he's even spoiled by his father. And add to this that God is stepped into this mix and said that the younger son, the younger of these two twins, is going to be the top. He is going to be the one I'm going to work with. He is going to be the one who the elder brother serves. God has already shared that this twin relationship was going to be flipped upside down. God had already intervened in this relationship, and presumably um, Isaac knew this too. And so Rebecca, as she's looking at the situation about her relationship and the family's relationship with Esau and the kids and her, excuse me, Esau and his, his spouses, she realizes that the right thing to do in this situation may not be to pass along the family business to the eldest son. She realizes this. She says, look, he's impulsive, he's reckless, his marriage is a mess, he's driving, the, his, our daughters-in-law are driving us nuts. God had already said that this was supposed to be flipped. We need to really consider that Jacob is the one who should be taking the lead in the family. Right? Better pick the right one to lead the family after you die, husband of mine, and it's not going to be Esau. Isaac does not agree. Isaac is blind and he is old. He's unable to get out of bed, and so he calls to his elder son. He says, son... I'm going to bless you. Go hunt, kill something, cook it up like I like it when you do, and we'll talk about the future. And the idea here is that Isaac is going to pass along the mantle of family leadership to the eldest son, even though he's blind to the trouble that that's going to cause. Rebecca hears this news. She hears this plan. She calls Jacob, and of course, this very famous deception is put into action. They come up with a plan to steal the blessing. That's where all the deception in our reading comes together today, that um, one of the two sons, that Jacob fools his father by taking advantage of his blindness. He fools Isaac by manipulating his sense of touch, right? He's got goat skin or goat fur, uh, goat hair on his arms. He fools his father with a sense of smell. He's wearing his brother's clothes so that when the father pulls him close, he smells um, his elder son, and he fools him by taste as well, right? The taste of the meat, um, the good recipe that the father really likes. And in this great and symbolic blessing, Isaac um, passes along the torch of family leadership, passes along the family business. He does this blessing thing, which passes it all along um, to his manipulative and deceptive younger son instead of an impulsive and particularly inept elder son that the right to take over the family, the right to be the new family leader, gets passed along to the younger son instead of the elder one. Most people hear the story about Jacob stealing his brother's uh, birthright and his blessing, um, and they think about it as Jacob being the deceptive one, stealing something from his brother. And that's true, he played a part in here, but you have to notice that's not the main instigator. Who was it that was the main instigator in our reading today? It was his mother. His mother is the one to say, quick, go get together. Um, go get some clothes and go get some skin. And, and, you know, Jacob actually objects. He says, look, I'm not hairy like my brother. 
If my father touches my forearm when he blesses me, like the jig is up and I'm going to get a curse instead of a blessing. But his mother insists and she says, listen, go and do it. And she says this very chilling verse, right? She says, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go. I think Jacob gets a bit of a bad rap in this story. Um, It's Rebecca who's really the inventor and instigator of this plot. But I tell you all this just to point out that there are three strained relationships, if not more. Jacob and Esau, the brothers, are fighting. Esau, the eldest brother, and his parents, they're fighting about the fact that his wives are driving them nuts. Isaac and Rebekah, the mother and the father, they are fighting. Three strained relationships that have their source in the father's pride and blessing of the firstborn regardless of his worthiness or his talent or his lack thereof. So at his mother's insistence, Jacob puts on an Esau costume like it's ancient Near East Halloween and tricks his father into receiving the mantle of the future leader of the family. And this is actually, this is a a permanent thing. It's not up for a redo. Um, Because when Esau does return back from the field and finds out he is deceived, his father knows he can't take the blessing back, right? What does he say? Who was it then that hunted the game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed it. And what does he say next? He says, yes, and he shall be blessed. There's no takesy-backsies with this sort of thing. That's how they did it in the ancient Near East. And Isaac has figured out, I think here, um, that this isn't just some sort of, um, you know, minor deception. I think Isaac, despite his blindness, can see that God's fingerprints are on the events of this story, right? Um, That God already said from the beginning of this reading that there was a a reversal of fortunes that was going to happen. And Isaac was blind. He was blind to that fact. Um, That God had intended for these twins in utero was that the younger would take the first position. And what does Isaac say? Yes, he, Jacob, shall be blessed. Because God had intended this from the start. And Isaac had resisted God's intentions, choosing to bring the wrong son forward. And the result was a family of massive dysfunction with long-lasting implications, which we'll talk about next week. But one of the things I want to take away from the story today to talk about how this might have something to say for you and me in the year 2020 is the idea that we, as people in general, are desperate for a blessing. Um, We are so desperate for love and blessing that we will do anything to try and get it. I think part of the reason we have some empathy with uh, the mafia-loving teen Henry from Goodfellas, um, you know, he would have done anything for this blessing and this approval from the men of the mafia, these pseudo-father figures. He would sell illegal cigarettes, he would go to jail, eventually uh, matters, mafia matters like murder and death enter the scene. So maybe we should be surprised that Jacob goes along with his mother's scheme, right? Um, Again, Jacob would have been functionally irrelevant to the family life um, had things not changed at God's behest. Maybe Jacob is actually biting at the chance to get his father's love and affirmation and blessing. Imagine in our reading, Jacob, fully dressed in his Esau costume, hearing his father's blessing as he's kneeling or sitting next to his father who is reclining in a bed. The emotions are bittersweet. Because in the ancient world, right, the father heavily insists, uh, invests his time and effort and energy into the eldest son. 
He's training the eldest son to take over for the family and the tribe after he dies. Jacob would have had little to no time with his father. He would be fuming with jealousy that his older brother was the favorite. Um, But that older brother would take this blessing and trade it for something as mundane as a bowl of soup. And as Jacob is hearing this father's blessing, right, what, what does it say? Let people serve you. Let nations bow down to you. Lead your brothers. And may God bless your harvests. As he hears this blessing, Jacob likely has two thoughts. This affirmation and love is what I've always wanted in my life. It's what I have been desperate for. And I can't believe my older brother would pass this up. But he's also thinking this. He's thinking a second thing, too. If my father knew who I really was, if my father knew who I really was, there is no way he would be giving me this blessing. If I didn't have on my Esau costume right now, as I'm sitting in front of my father, if I wasn't in disguise as my brother, I would never get this blessing. As good as it is, as good as it feels, there's deception here. And I do not know if this is actually something that I deserve. This deception must be killing Jacob because he's receiving something like a blessing of real love and affection, but it comes with an asterisk. Um, And I want to make the case um, that when it comes to love and blessing, we all have the same tendency, but it's less obvious. We all dress up and impersonate others to get affection and love. And the deception may not go so far as Jacob's with, you know, furry arms and offerings of um, imitation stews and that. That doesn't mean the, the spiritual reality of desiring someone else's blessing and dressing up to get it isn't there. What have you had to put on before to try to receive a blessing? When have you been spiritually deceptive in your own heart? Sometimes it does involve literally putting on clothes. Um, I was reflecting on this the other day that um, in a previous life I was working at West Virginia University, and while I was there, they, they brought on a new president of the university. And this uh, president of West Virginia University, he came on board, and he only wore bow ties. It was kind of a shtick. It was his thing. It was his fashion thing. And so you had this uh, elder gentleman who was the president, sort of a campus grandfather, who loved all the students, and he stood out from a crowd because he was, you know, like, maybe this high, he wasn't very big, really wiry frame, but he always had on his bow tie. And, like, overnight, it seemed like, um, all of the upwardly mobile people who wanted to, to impress and the people who really bought into the school's, um, you know, success began to sport blue and gold, the colors of the university. They started wearing blue and gold bow ties. And you could tell who the people were. They hadn't worn a bow tie in their life, mind you. But as soon as the president started wearing the bow tie, it's like, oh, yeah, of course I have bow ties. <laughs> Look, you like my bow tie? Self-tie, you know, it's very nice. And, um, you know, not only with the employees doing it, but the students, the student council leaders started to do it, too. This wave of bow ties came across West Virginia's campus, and you could buy them at the bookstore, and even the, the campus dining program had bow tie cookies they started giving out at campus events. Right? If it weren't a bow tie, right, the, the, you know, people, these people aren't bow tie people. They're putting on a bow tie because they want the president's affirmation. They want the president's blessing. They want the president to see, look at me. I want your attention because I am upwardly mobile and I want this university to succeed and I want to be part of that team. What have you put on, right? 
Sometimes the deceptions that we do involve omission, you know? Maybe you were in a conversation that turned political over the past week, and rather than experience a curse and disagree with the conversation, you simply let the moment pass and didn't say anything, right? You didn't want to stir up trouble. In a way, that's a way of keeping somebody's blessing because you're withholding your political opinion. I mean, who hasn't done that over the past eight months? <laughs> Maybe you don't tell your parents everything when you talk on the phone because you're afraid if you tell them something, you might lose their blessing. And maybe you don't tell your kiddos that you're sneaking bites of their Halloween candy, because, uh, you know, um, when you do that, right, and they find out, well, your children simply stop to be a blessing and become a curse. Maybe you hold back on telling someone what you really think about COVID and the pandemic, because you're afraid if you say the wrong thing, then you're going to get left out of these future social plans. Nobody wants the, 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 to risk inviting you and giving you the blessing of their company and risk getting sick. And so there's this sense that, that everyone has these deceptive moments in their lives where they're holding back what they truly think and believe um, and being deceptive about who they really are to keep other people's company, to keep their blessing around. And sometimes maybe you just feign interest. You, you fake it till you make it. I know people who watch sports highlights, not because they watch sports, um, because they just want to talk with their friends at work about it by the water cooler. I know people who will smile and nod at anything. I know people who, when they get into romantic relationships, all of a sudden, um, they've taken on the hobbies and interests of the other person. It's like they've left their own individual personality behind. I'll tell you this, I'm not immune to this. This happens to me too. When Beth and I were dating um, a number of years ago, um, she and I were talking and she shared with me the title of her favorite movie. And I had seen this movie before, but, you know, I, I'm in, I want her blessing. I want to be in relationship with her. I needed to impress her. And so um, that very week, I went out to the movie store and bought a copy of that movie. It was from a, from a movie rental store back when they were a thing. And I bought a copy of this movie. And I brought it home, and I knew she was coming out later, and so I sat it by the TV in a really prominent place so she couldn't not see it. And uh, she came over, and she saw the DVD box, and she said, Oh, Brian, this is my favorite movie. I just told you about that. Let's watch it together. And so she, she took the box, and she opened the box, but I had left the receipt in the box. And she looked at the receipt and saw the date on it, and she said, Did you just buy this the other day? <laughs> Right? I was being deceptive. I wanted her to think that I was a cool guy. I wanted her to think, yeah, you know, I have that movie. You know, it's great. Like, even your pastor resorts to it from time to time. Your pastor has tried in his own life to be deceptive, to get the blessing and love for others. So we're all deceptive uh, deceivers in one way or another. We are what one writer famously called sociopaths for love. We will all put on our own goat skins on our arms. We will don our brother's cloaks. We will cook up whatever roast lamb recipe we can find if it means we receive an important blessing from someone else. And this, dear friends, is why the Christian gospel is unique, different. Because our Heavenly Father is the one source of blessing in this world um, that makes it available to you apart from your performance or earning. We may dress like we are good. We may be wonderful cooks. Many of you are. Um, we might smell like we are good because we are putting on a costume to try to be someone that we aren't. We may pretend that we are good. But the gift of Jesus' death and resurrection is that God's blessing is given to us 
even when we are not good. The gift of Jesus' death and resurrection, friends, is that we are given blessings when we don't earn it. In fact, we are given these blessings while God still counts us as enemies. Right? Isaac would not have blessed his son Jacob if he could have seen the truth about the son that he was blessing. Flip that on its head. God sees the truth about his children, and out of pity and love, he blesses us anyway. We are not asked to wear bow ties or to sell cigarettes for the mob for God to bless us. We do not need to show off our hip and trendy movie collection to gain the love of the heavens. When it comes to deceivers, which counts all of us, we are blessed apart from our deserving or our earning. But as our reading finishes today, we see this family blessing taking place. What we find is the family gets torn apart over this decision. Brothers and parents and in-laws are all at odds at each other. In fact, this singular event will take the family of God, a family that God wants to be in special relationship with, and break it apart for decades to come, separating out Jacob and taking him on his own adventure. But next week we'll find, we'll see, that God is going to respond to this great deceiver, the one whose name literally means cheater. We will find that the younger brother, the one who in the entire family least deserves the blessing, still has the love and companionship of God that he so desperately wanted. In Jesus' name, amen. Ligonier, Pennsylvania.